I'm Ed Adams, and you're listening to the AFCA Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the AFCA Podcast. And on this episode, we're talking about inclusion and representation in media. Just the facts. I'll explain more after the break. The AFCA Podcast is sponsored by Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment. Imagine, if you will, you're watching television with your child and you notice something is missing. You don't see a lot of girls and kids programming. So you start counting and realize this lack of representation crosses the spectrum in both television and film. Well, that's exactly what Academy Award winning actress Gina Davis did. And after discovering this lack of representation, she decided to do something about it and launched the Gina Davis Institute on Gender in Media in 2004. Now, before we dive deeper, take a listen to this spot produced by the Institute titled See Jane. Meet Jane. See Jane. See her. She makes up half the world's population. But you wouldn't know it by watching kids' media. On screen, Jane is outnumbered by a ratio of three to one. When she is there, a lot of time it's purely as eye candy. And girls everywhere are watching. On average, over seven hours a day. If they see Jane, it's with little to say, few career options, and even fewer aspirations. But we can change. Meet Jane. See Jane? She is half the world's population. She has important things to say. And she can be anything she wants to be. But to empower girls, we need a see Jane. CJane.org. If she can see it, she can be it. So what does the Gina Davis Institute do? They provide invaluable research to leaders in the entertainment industry and beyond with data on representation based on gender, race, and other diversity tracks. Now, recently, the Institute partnered with USC Vertibai and Google to develop the GDIQ, or Gina Davis Inclusion Quotient. The number is derived using new technologies to measure audio and visual in media content and provides data in real time on representation or the lack thereof. Now, recently, the Institute released their benchmark report, a decade-long analysis where they analyzed the top 100 grossing animated and non-animated family films from 2007 to 2017. And the report provides a state-of-the-industry snapshot of sorts, and the information is pretty shocking. According to the report, male leads outnumber female leads two to one, but there has been some progress over time. And in regards to race, White leads outnumber leads of color four to one, but box office revenue for family films with leads of color and racially diverse co-leading casts have caught up and surpassed family films with white leads. Now, my guest today is Madeline Denono, CEO of the Gina Davis Institute on Gender and Media and leads the Institute's strategic direction. 
Madeline has over 30 years experience in media marketing and business development in nonprofit, entertainment, digital media, and consumer goods. She's a rock star. Madeline has worked for Anchor Bay Entertainment, Stars Media, Nielsen EDI, the Hallmark Channel, Universal Studios Home Video, and ABC Television, to name a few. Recently, I spoke with Madeline at AFCA's Celebrate Women in Media event in Atlanta about the Institute, the outlook on the industry, and what we can do to support inclusion in entertainment. All right, so let's start this interview. So first, thank you for being on the podcast. Pleasure. Um, For people who don't know, why don't you paint a picture of the industry as it is right now? In terms of Hollywood? Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of opportunity happening right now. I think there's a lot of change. I would say the leading content creators, studios, networks are very serious about what I will use the term intersectionality, uh, which is my term. Uh Um, And I'll just take a beat and explain that. And I'll frame it. If you look at our census data, you know, by 2020, over 50% of our children under the age of 18 will be part of a ethnic and racial group. And by 2044, there will be no dominant ethnic or racial group comprising our American population. Uh So now as storytellers, we need to be relevant, but we also need to be vigilant because we want to make sure our stories are reflecting our society. Uh So intersectionality is a, a... a term that was coined by Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw, who's a professor of law at Columbia, and she actually attributes it to an African-American activist in the 19th century. And it talks about how there are overlapping marginalization. So, for example, you know, I could be African-American, I could be a female, I could be LGBTQ, and a disability in one person. Mm-hmm. So we've talked a lot about DNI and diversity and inclusion, which tends to be siloed. You've got gender over here, race over there, LGBTQ over there, but really we have to talk about it as one entity. Okay, okay. Um, So at the Gina Davis Institute, uh, a lot of the things you do is like hard data. So um, what are some of the more shocking things you've learned over time as you've been doing some of these studies? We recently just finished a, we call it the Gina Benchmark Report, Mm -hmm. which looked at 10 years of the largest grossing films out of the U.S. that were family, GPG, PG-13, from 2007 to 2017. Because we wanted to see where has there been change. And on a positive note, what we found is that over the 10 years, female-centric films have generated 55% more at the box office. That started happening in 2016. And films with people of color as leads generated more at the box office also. And that started happening in 2017, um, where films with people of color generated 14% more at the box office, which was about $11 million more. Mm -hmm. So you have to really think about the business imperative as well as the social imperative. But on the flip side, when you look at people of color are 38% of the U.S. population, but over the 10 years, there were only 16.7% as leads. And what we just found in our 2018 only data was that people of color were still only about 26%. Mm. So there is progress, but we're not at parity in terms of gender, race, LGBTQ, disabilities, anything. Wow. So in that study, is that a worldwide study or just a U.S.? So the benchmark study was a U.S. study. Okay. <clears throat> was a U.S. study. Okay. 
Um, so how does the U.S. kind of compare with the rest of the world and as far as like inclusion and gender? Well, um, you know, uh, race and ethnicity are different constructs and uh -huh. it changes by culture. Mm -hmm. So we can't really look at it from kind of a race standpoint. But when you look at a gender standpoint, the U.S. is probably in the middle bottom mm -hmm. um, when it comes um, is probably in the middle bottom. And what we found is we had looked at the 10 largest film markets mm -hmm. uh, in 2014. I think there was about 2014, 2015. And what we found is that there were so many co-productions between the U.S. and the U.K. that we had to create kind of an 11th market. Mm -hmm. And so the U.K., Korea, uh, Japan, some of those countries were in the highest percentage of female characters, females behind the camera. But when you looked at the U.S. and the U.K., we brought the U.K. all the way down to the bottom, which begs the question of what happens when the United States starts investing mm -hmm. and they're doing their China deal and their India deal. What happens to female presence you know, on screen? Huh. Um, but what we also found, and we found this in the U.S., that when there's a female writer or director, it generates a 6.8 to a 7.5% increase in on-screen roles internationally across those 10 countries, mm -hmm. and it generated probably about 10% more. So there is a direct correlation to who's writing the story and what happens on screen. Wow. Okay. So one of the things that I was thinking about as I was preparing for this was my own biases, right? Um, it made me think about an NPR story about Ruth Bader Ginsburg and how while she was on the bench how a lot of the other justices would cut her off and she had to kind of stand up for herself. And it made me think, how often have I cut women off in conversations? And had a conversation actually with my manager, who's a female, and she says, it happens a lot and you don't realize it. It's this kind of subliminal bias, this kind of subliminal kind of trained behavior that we have. So I wanted to talk to you about cultural bias. I mean, like uh, gender and, and subliminal and gender cultural bias. Um, what do you think... I mean, I've seen your CJ uh, video, which I think is amazing, and it really does kind of speak towards something that we really don't pay attention to. So my question is, can you talk to the audience a little bit about what that is, how, and what does the Gina Davis Institute plan to do to try to combat it? So essentially, we're changing media to empower girls, mm -hmm. and we really focus on kids' content because if we can create a media landscape that is filled with the full colors of the rainbow as we look at our society, then when children start hitting seven, eight, nine, before they become business leaders, before they uh, become parents, there's a way that we can change the, change the world. And as content creators, we're dealing with fiction. Mm -hmm. But it's not just fiction. We know that things that happen in the fictional world impact real life. Uh, you know, for example, I know we conducted uh, a study of the character Dana Scully on X-Files, and 21st Century Fox wanted to know if that character did indeed encourage women to go into STEM. And what we found out is 91% of the women that were familiar with the show said it changed how they thought about STEM. They've encouraged their granddaughters and daughters to go into STEM. 63% of the women who are currently working in STEM, which is science, technology, engineering, math, 
are did so because of that Dana Scully character. Wow. So it's not just, you know, make believe. So what we do is by presenting the data, um, our goal is to encourage and inspire content creators to think about filling the landscape of whatever they're making with 50% female and intersectional female. Um, And so that let real life catch up to art. Okay. So one of the things that you mentioned in one of your speeches is that you have a no blame, no shame policy. Talk to me about that and why that's important. Well, we study uh, data for the industry. We measure the industry. And then our day-to-day work is actually presenting every day to studios, creators of all type, production companies, guilds. And people are very, very sincere in their interest, in their passion, in their intent uh, to increase, you know, female presence, to increase intersectional presence. And, you know, with that in mind, if you're going to be a consigliere, you can't then turn around and blast people, you know, in the press, number one. Number two, we do give their reports. If Studio X wants their report, we'll give it to them, but we give it to them privately. But the real other reason is because of chief counsels and all kinds of reasons, lots of times these creators can't defend themselves. They can't say, by the way, I reject any script that isn't 50% female and diverse. Mm. They can't state these things publicly. So when you have other organizations that shame them in the press, they can't defend themselves. And so we look at it as a collaborative collaboration, mm-hmm. and that's why we have the policy and the way we do. Wow. Okay. So, um, and this is going, this is across the board, right? We're not talking about just like, you know, executives. We're also talking about directors, mm-hmm. actors, mm-hmm. things like that. So mm-hmm. typically, um, you, in one of your conversations, you were talking about the technology behind all of this. Can you talk a little bit about like how are these reports generated? What are some of the technologies that you're using? Because some of it was kind of pretty cutting edge. I know you talked about a grant or a thing, a fellowship with Google. We um, are very privileged. We've been working with Google probably since around 2010. And they're a technology company. And they saw the way that we do our analysis, which is analyzing content. And anyone who analyzes content, whether it's us or any other academic, has a lot of grad students watching and coding and watching and coding. And they thought by using computer science and machine learning that perhaps it could help us not only do more research, do deeper research, and maybe uncover some other things. And that uh, we uh, were able to give a subgrant to uh, Dr. Sri Narayan, who runs the SAIL laboratory, the Signal Analysis Laboratory, at USC Viterbi School of Engineering. And they uh, helped us develop what now we call GDIQ, Gina Davis Inclusion Quotient. And it's a machine learning tool that uses face and audio recognition and allows us to automatically discern not only gender, screen and speaking time, but also um, race mm-hmm. for, for screen time. And in addition, it is allowing us to automate and look at background characters and a lot of other things. And what happened is when we revealed that in uh, 2015, 
one of the things that Gina always wanted to know is screen and speaking time. So it's one thing to say female characters are only 22 to 26%, but we found that they're not on screen and speaking with the same amount of time and presence as their male counterparts. And we actually found no change between 2017 and 2018, where essentially uh, for female lead characters, screen and speaking time is still under 40%. Mm -hmm. So that begs the question, where is that happening? Is it in the editing room? Where is that decision being made? Hmm. Because most television shows, movies have a few different cameras. So how is it that you know, top of the call sheet, the female character is not being represented uh, with this equal amount of screen and speaking time as the male counterpart. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, what about uh, one of the things that I thought was kind of interesting too is when we talk about the spectrum of gender and and, the per- and how we perceive it is that there's also, it's not just, you know, looking at women, but looking at young girls, looking at uh, preteens, looking at you know, adolescents, and even like uh, older women, and that representation. Is that something else, is that something else that you also look at in your studies? Very much so. And what we're just finishing up what we call the CJ in 2018, where we looked at the top uh, 100 movies from 2018, and we also looked at the top television shows that targeted children 0 to 13. And what we have found across the board is that uh, female characters are more likely to be shown in their teens in comparison to male characters that were shown in their 30s and 40s. And we found that only 5% of all female characters um, were shown to be, you know, for, in their 40s. 5% out of, like, 7,000 characters that we coded in film and TV, mm. where you had, you know, 15 to 30% of the male characters shown in their 30s and 40s and 50s. So, unfortunately, ageism is alive and well. So, when you think about all these numbers, the, the, you know, the natural question is, well, what do we do about it? Like, um, a lot of this stuff is kind of learned behavior, right? So, how do you combat, you know, 100 years worth of cinema and, and, and 75 years of television in a way that can really move the needle forward? Is it gradual or is it bigger steps than what we're talking about? Well, for us, it's really been about the research and uh, sticking with the facts and making people, you know, aware of it and having that kind of light bulb go off. Mm -hmm. And when you think about it, you know, the United States makes probably 500 or so films a year. It could take three to five years for one film to come out. So you really have to catch it at the beginning in the script. When you look at the marketplace for TV and streaming, you have such an abundance and you have episodic. So that's why TV performs better than film and you have a lot more opportunities to respond more quickly. Uh And we definitely are making an impact. We have a lot of stories from leading creators on how they've made, you know, changes or how they have set expectations Mm. um, of their ADs, expectations of their writers, etc., in terms of crafting characters and in terms of how those characters are actually portrayed, Mm. you know, on screen. So we are seeing progress, but I still think it's going to take probably another few years before we start hitting closer to parity and are being able to stay um, stay on that tr- stay on that trend. Okay. 
So, like um, Will Smith and like uh, Francis McDermott, you know, they're famously known for like uh, champion this cause of making sure that in their writers that they make sure that there's inclusivity and diversity in their writers. Do you, to your knowledge, do you know if that trend is catching on, or do you know that other people are starting to do that? To your knowledge. The idea of the inclusion writer is brilliant. Uh Um, There are a lot of legal considerations. There's probably 10 to 15 things you need to do legally in order to be able to incorporate that. Secondly, only the most powerful people in Hollywood can institute that. So even a series regular probably could not institute that. So it's great for um, powerhouses. Mm -hmm. And I think if studios want to adapt that, I think that's, you know, fantastic. But it's not, um, it's not an opportunity for all working actors, all directors, all writers. Okay. Okay. Um, and lastly, for people who are just starting in the industry, like these young people coming out of college or people just decide they're going to start writing, become screenwriters or start doing film, what are some of the things or lessons that they can learn from the Gina Davis Institute to kind of keep in their mind when they're starting to work on their projects? Well, I think storytellers tell stories about what they know or they love. Mm -hmm. But I think they can really use what I call an intersectional lens to think about their characters. And there's nothing wrong with having a male lead as a character, but... If you think about that there could be 50 to 100 characters in a story that you're telling, be implicit. Be implicit. Because as that screenplay leaves their hands and may go out for packaging or casting, if it's not implicit, the default is going to be white and male. So uh, there's a lot more pressure on the writers. I think also they want to be mindful of their language you know, of their, how are they describing that female character? How are they describing that African-American character? Can you give an example? Um, So, for example, don't make the black males criminals. You know, don't make the Latinx characters maids. You know, don't, you know, so there's just so many things. If there's a parent and a child, could it be a mixed race situation? Um, If there's a scene in a bank or a school and there's 100 people, why can't it be 50% female and diverse? It's little cues like that that can really change the visual makeup of how that script will actually transcribe itself to on screen. And for entertainment journalists like myself, excuse me, so for entertainment journalists like myself, what what are your expectations or how can we partner or champion these same kind of issues? Call it out. When you're reviewing or critiquing, call it out. Uh, How is that female character described? How is that person of color described? Um, Could there have been other opportunities? Are there uh, hyper stereotypes? Is it too sexualized? Does that female character have agency? Is she in control of her destiny? You can call it out. Okay. Wow. I feel empowered. <laughs> I do. Power of the pen, baby. That is Power of the it. pen. That is yeah. it. So thank you so much for talking with me today. This has been really an eye-opening, eye-opening moment for me. I, I, going through some of, your, some of your research, I was just kind of, 
I was just mesmerized by all these things that you, we just take for granted. We really take so much for granted and what people put in front of us without realizing that whether conscious or not conscious, it's shaping our lives. And unfortunately, it's shaping the lives of our young people. Exactly. Yeah. So thank you again. Thank you. That was Madeline DeNono, CEO of the Gina Davis Institute on Gender and Media. You can find out more about the organization by visiting their website at cjane.org. And I encourage you to download the report we was talking about and also make a donation to this worthy cause. And that's our show. Thanks again to Madeline for speaking with me on this important topic. Our theme music, by the way, is Red Carpet by Lev Phonic. You can find out more about him and his music by visiting him on Instagram at Lev Phonic. And until next time, keep your head up. <laughs>